Good morning. You sound good. You're looking good today. Good to be with you. Good morning online. So good to be back with you this morning. And as Mari said, this is our last wrapping up our Encountering Jesus series. But I, I, I want to tell you, it's not the last Sunday that we're going to encounter Jesus. Hopefully, each and every week we're getting together. Jesus is here. Amen? Amen. Last week, we looked at the rich young ruler. We looked at the rich young ruler, and we've seen every week in this series, everyone who encountered Jesus, their lives were dramatically changed. Jesus changes everything. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Doesn't Jesus change everything in your life? Amen. Never the same again. And last week, the rich young ruler, well, he made a life-changing decision, and it wasn't a good one. He could have made a what-if God possibility, but he ended up making an if-only regret. And so today we're going to look at another rich man named Zacchaeus, and we're going to compare the two as we just kick off this morning. The rich young ruler, he was moral, he was an accepted respected, a religious, he was a leader, an influencer in the community, he was wealthy, he was liked, he had friends, and he was a sinner, and he didn't know it. Zacchaeus, he was wealthy, disrespected, unaccepted, unreligious, hated, his friends weren't the right people, a negative influencer, he was a sinner, and he knew it. And they do it. But Jesus changes everything. Amen. The big idea today is this. Jesus will go wherever to do whatever to reach whoever. I want to say today, I want us to be like Jesus. May we be like Jesus this morning. I'm glad you're here today. Let's stand together. And if you would, take your Bible. And it was just a joy as I preached at Pinsburg last week and Ryan was here and I want to say this and it's not hyperbole or hype but you know we were singing about the chaos in our world and Mari mentioned it. I'm going to say it. Jesus is on the move. And I want to be part of his movement. Amen. He's on the move. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Jesus is unstoppable. You can't stop him. Amen? Amen? And we're part of that movement. So if you would take your Bible and let's just believe for the next few moments we're going to receive from God's word, receive what the Lord wants to put in our hearts this morning. Let's say it together if you would. This is my Bible. This is the word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have an app, we have the notes on the app, we've had little notebooks, you can write some things down, I encourage you to do that, write some things down. So let's take a closer look at this man named Zacchaeus, and 
I believe as we do, we're going to see a little bit of ourselves in him. And first of all, four false ways we evaluate our worth. Four false ways that we can evaluate our worth. First of all, by our appearance. By our appearance. And if we're honest with ourselves, how many would say there are some things about yourself you don't like something about the way you look? How many would say that today? Yeah, we all got something. There's some things we don't like about the way we look. We tend to think in our culture, if I look good, I must be good. And if I don't look so good, I must not be so important or so valuable. We have this whole industry built on the idea that your value is based on your appearance. And that industry is called Hollywood. And I'm here today to say Hollywood is non-essential. Non-essential. The problem with that is who defines who's good looking? Tell your neighbor, you're good looking. Come on, you're good looking. Who defines who's good looking? That's a problem. And the way that it's defined says that, you know, there are not too many good looking people. Most of us are just normal, just average. But this isn't the way that God defines our value. I'm so thankful God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Amen? God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. And then we see by our affluence. In that day, the first century in Jewish culture, if you were wealthy, it was to them an automatic that you had God's approval, God's favor, God's blessing. No matter what was going on, it was a sign of his blessing. It, by our affluence, this is a myth that says if I have a lot of things, I must be valuable if I have a lot of things. Your valuables and your value have nothing to do with each other. Never connect your net worth to your self-worth. Somebody say amen to that. But the world tells us if you have a lot of money, you have a lot of possessions, you're a valuable person. Not true. By your achievements, by what have I accomplished in life. If I accomplish a lot, then I feel good about myself. If I get promoted, receive honor, or someone gives me a trophy, you know, then I must be valuable. And I'm not saying you should be proud of your hard work and proud of your achievements in the right way, but too many people try to achieve for the wrong reasons. And then by approval, it's based on how well I'm liked, if I'm recognized. If a lot of people like me, I must be worth a lot. And some of you here this morning have spent your whole life trying to gain the approval of someone who probably isn't going to give it to you. How many hear that today? You're trying to gain the approval of someone who probably isn't going to give it to you. The point is this, you don't need it to be happy. Your happiness isn't dependent upon the approval of other people. If you build your worth upon what other people think of you, then you're going to be devastated when you're criticized. And believe me, you're going to be criticized. You become a slave to the approval of other people. Psychological studies have shown us that we tend to base how we feel about ourselves and how you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. And in this case, 
Jesus Christ needs to be the most important person in your life. He will always love you and speak the truth in love. The only solid foundation for self-esteem is understanding how much you matter to God. Amen? We can't overemphasize that this morning. Colossians 1.16 tells us you were made by God and for God. The psalmist tells us in 139 verse 1 from the New Living Translation. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I had to read that again. Because I thought the psalms, most of them were written by David. This must have been a woman writing this psalm. <laughs> no. <laughs> For making me so wonderfully complex, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You may recognize we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Praise God, the best of the best created you this morning. The highest of the highest is for you today and he's not against you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, sometimes we take that for granted. You were made, created for God and by God. The best of the best. The highest of the highest. We get a picture of this with this man called Zacchaeus. So let's look at him. A chief tax collector. Jesus is going through the town of Jericho and it served as a major uh, custom site for goods entering Israel from the east. And so we have Jerusalem, uh, the capital city, and a little west of that, real close is Bethlehem, and then Jericho, and then to the very east is the Dead Sea. And, and so we see this is where Zacchaeus lives. Large crowds are following Jesus wherever he goes. And then we have this encounter that led to dinner. This takes place just before another big event. And we're going to look at that in two weeks, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house. Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. And as we look at that, we see, once again, four false ways we evaluate our worth. Number one. Zacchaeus doesn't like his appearance. What's his problem here? The Bible tells us that he was short. How many people, I'm looking around here, I'm not asking if you're short. That's not what I'm asking. <laughs> but you went to church as a child and you sang that song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. How many remember that song? when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. To say he was short was an understatement. In fact, he was so short, he couldn't see above the crowd. He was shorter than anyone else in the city in that day. You have to understand, in first century Israel, the average Jewish man was five foot seven. He was shorter than anyone in Jericho. In fact, if you look at this in the Greek, and, and we haven't done this justice, the word here for short describes a body that is underdeveloped. So Zacchaeus is abnormally short. We believe, theologians believe, he had dwarfism. 
So, come on. He was probably teased growing up. We've all been children. We've all been kids. We can be mean, can't we? Or maybe you've been on the end of that. Ridicule his entire life. So he lives with cruel, hurtful nicknames. He learns to block out the opinions of other people. He's hardened. He really does have the short man syndrome. It later became known as the Napoleon Complex. It's an extra over-aggressive personality, in-your-face obnoxious. It says in verse 3, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And Jesus came to the place. He looked up and saw him. A sycamore tree, a fig tree, which had, which had wide open, uh, spreading out low limbs. And I want to say this, and it's not just a play on words, but when you find yourself up a tree in life, just look, because Jesus is there. He's there. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. And this is just not nice words Jesus is saying. This is really how Jesus feels about you and feels about you and feels about you. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. It's getting easier for Jesus to number them. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. What do you think about it? You are more valuable than many sparrows. Man, lately, you go outside, getting a little nicer outside, spring's on the way. Can I hear an amen for that? Yeah. I'm beginning to hearing some birds. I'm seeing birds and flocks of birds and the geese are coming back. But it tells us you are more valuable than the sparrows, and he pays that close attention to the sparrows. This is, I believe, the word of God. One of those sparrows dies out there, he knows it. Jesus cares for you. Tell your neighbor, Jesus really cares for you. So we look at Zacchaeus. He isn't liked by anyone else. His approval factor is zero. He was the chief tax collector. Matthew, whom Jesus called, was a tax collector. We look at Zacchaeus, he's the chief tax collector. He's the main man, he is the top dog, he's the boss. All other tax collectors were under him. He was hated. Rome had a worldwide empire, it had to be financed, so they levied heavy taxes and all the nations under the rule. The Jews opposed these taxes because they supported a heathen, oppressive government. But they're still forced to pay. Tax collectors were the most hated, unpopular people in Israel. Well, why was that? Because they were Jews who worked for an oppressive Roman government and they were considered traitors. No self-respecting Jew would be a tax collector working for this invading, oppressive dictatorship. He was disowned by his family and Zacchaeus was disbarred from worship in the synagogue. A tax collector was considered in the same class as a murderer. You're a tax collector. You're a murderer. He not only collected what Rome required, he took much more for himself, maybe three to four times more. He gouged his fellow 
Jewish citizens. So we see he's wealthy. He had great wealth. He was the most hated man in Jericho, but Jesus talks and stops and talks with him. And Jesus invites himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And the crowd didn't like it. That's something you need to take note of. Zacchaeus doesn't like his appearance. He isn't approved of. And he probably doesn't like himself very much. He knows who he is, what he's done, what he has done, what he is doing. He knows how he's living. He knows how he's made his money. He probably doesn't respect himself. He can't be happy and guilty at the same time. In fact, I believe he didn't like himself at all. I believe he was rich. He was lonely. He was unhappy and maybe even homeless, hopeless. But one day, Jesus, but one day, Jesus shows up and transforms his life. But Jesus. Have you had a but Jesus encounter? A but Jesus moment? One day Jesus shows up and everything changes. Are you thankful Jesus came into your life today? Jesus shows up and everything changes. His encounter with Jesus in his life is transformed. We look in verse 5. Zacchaeus. Jesus says, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus is here today, right now. I believe he's walking through the sanctuary this morning. He's looking for you and he's saying, quick, I want to be in your life today. I believe he's here. Do you believe Jesus is here this morning? I would say to you, don't miss your opportunity. This is it. Recognize him, receive him, and welcome him into your life. You are valuable to God. Jesus will go wherever to do whatever to reach whoever. Jesus is here this morning for you. Do you have a need this morning? Jesus is here. So let's look at several things. Jesus notices me. It looks like Zacchaeus was desperate to see Jesus. And he does two things. Then an adult, wealthy man of that day and culture will never, ever do. It was unacceptable. It was undignified. No one did it. No man would ever do this. Verse 4, it says, Zacchaeus ran. He ran ahead of the crowd. No man, no respected man, no wealthy man would ever, ever run it was undignified. You wouldn't run. He wasn't one of these happy joggers. I don't know why they're smiling. 10 miles, 15 miles. Kill yourself. Go ahead, buddy. I'm biblical. You're not going to catch me out there running. <laughs> no. And then, you know, but Zacchaeus doesn't care. I must see Jesus. He was desperate for Jesus. So he runs, he climbs a sycamore tree, and secondly, no one would climb a tree. Running was for slaves, and climbing a tree was for slaves. He did it. Can you imagine how he felt? The whole town of Jericho was abuzz with Jesus' presence. Such a huge, huge crowd, massive crowd. He was lost in the crowd. All he could see were belly buttons and rear ends. He couldn't find Jesus anywhere. 
So he climbs the tree, get a glimpse of Jesus, and he's looking desperately for Jesus. And he's looking desperately for Jesus. Jesus notices him. He's standing at the base of the tree, and he's looking at Zacchaeus, and he's calling Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus, is Jesus talking to me? He couldn't be talking to me. He wouldn't be talking to me. Is Jesus calling me? Jesus, yeah, he isn't talking about me. He isn't insulting me or mocking me or yelling at me or judging me. Jesus is calling me. I hope people, when they come to Morningstar here in Pittsburgh, they hear the call of Jesus, that we're not insulting or mocking or ridiculing or condemning. But Jesus is calling. He's calling. So why did Jesus stop at that particular tree? Because he knew where to find Zacchaeus. And let me say it right here. I don't know where you are right now. You may feel like you're up a tree in life. Physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally. But Jesus knows right where you are this morning. He's paying attention to you. He's noticing you. You matter to God. He's calling you right now by your name. He hasn't forgotten you no matter how small you feel or insignificant you feel right now. He notices you and you may be looking for him, but you may want to meet him. You may recognize your need of him. You may be searching for Jesus this morning and the good news is you're feeling that way because Jesus is here this morning looking for you and searching for you and he wants you to find him today saying, come down, come to me. I'm here waiting for you right now, right now. He knows me. There are 7.6 billion people in the world today. And Jesus knows your name, and he knows all about you this morning. He knows your past, he knows your present, he knows your future. He knows everything about you. He's got your name. He knows you. We see Jesus called Zacchaeus by his name all of his life. He had been ridiculed, rejected, his size, his appearance. Then he chose the wrong profession in life, a corrupt tax collector working for Rome. He's ostracized by society, ignored for the most part. And then one day Jesus came to town and calls Zacchaeus by name. He's shocked. He knows my name. How does he know my name? The same reason he knows your name. You were made by God and for God. He knows who you are. He understands what you're going through right now. He calls him by name, and Zacchaeus responded and came down. And he says, I'm going to your house today. You think about this. The name Zacchaeus, you know what that name means? Pure one. <laughs> Pure one. He was nothing like that, the exact opposite. He was more like Mr. Corruption. But the name Zacchaeus, does God have a sense of humor or does God know what he's doing? I think he does. God's in this, pure one. He was called all kinds of names, never a pure one. What's Jesus doing here? I want you to hear this. Our God, your God, has vision. 
Vision. Vision is God's investment in you. Jesus is affirming Zacchaeus' future. He's not labeling him by his past. He was affirming who he created Zacchaeus to be. He is declaring God's plan and purpose for Zacchaeus' life. It's like when you're a parent. How many parents are here today? This is for parenting. Treat your kids the way you want them to be, not the way you see them acting. Don't label them. You're never, you're a problem, you're a pain, you're not going to succeed, you're lazy. Don't label them. Help them see what they can become. Amen? What's going on here? Jesus is treating Zacchaeus the way he wants him to be. He is saying, I know who you are. I know I created you to be. I know your potential. I'm not going to allow your sin to label you. I'm looking at who I made you to be. God has a vision for you this morning. Vision is God's investment in you. Get God's vision for your life. Not your past, not what's going on right now, but God says, I have a tomorrow and a future for you. God has a vision for your life. He knows who you are. He created you to be somebody, not the person you may be stuck in right now. God has a vision. Amen. Amen. Come on, some, some of you know that. Five years ago, there were some of you, you would not be in church on a Sunday morning. Who's that right now? Five years ago. You would be, you're here today, amen? God had a vision. I'm going to tell you, he has a plan, he has a purpose. And God, that's God's investment in you. And God expects a return on his investment. Whoa, that's good right there. He does. He does. Let's go back to the prophet Isaiah 49, 15, and 16. This is God speaking. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Someone said this is called the tattoo, the tattoo verse. You know, there's no scars in heaven, no imperfections. The only one with scars in heaven is going to be Jesus Christ. The nail prints in his hand and his feet, and where the spear was driven into his side from the Roman soldier, Jesus says, I have engraved you on my hands, on my feet, and on my side. I know you by name. I did this for you, and I will never, ever Forget you, it's not possible. You're engraved right here, right here, and right here. We're going to receive communion in just a few moments, and we're celebrating that Jesus created you, and he has a vision for your life, and he took your sin and my sin so we wouldn't have to be captivated by that sin the rest of our life. Zacchaeus is wanted by Jesus. You're wanted by Jesus this morning. We look in verse 6. He said, Zacchaeus quickly come down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. Zacchaeus, come down. It's like the TV game show. The price is right. Come on down. The price is right. 
Zacchaeus comes down quickly. Zacchaeus couldn't even think of inviting Jesus to his house for dinner. He felt unworthy. He was an outcast by the so-called decent folks. He was a sinner. He was an up-and-outer. But when he heard Jesus call his name, he quickly and immediately responded. We know what Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We're all sinners here today, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. All have sinned. So this tells us he's not the only short guy. You fall short, you fall in short, you fall in short, you fall in short, and yeah, you've really fallen short. <laughs> and I've fallen short. We've all fallen short. We're all short guys here today. Short of God's standard, which is Jesus Christ, the perfect standard. He's calling you this morning. He says this in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door of your life. Are you going to let Jesus in this morning? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And then the last point we see this morning is Jesus affirmed Zacchaeus. He doesn't condone our sin, but he affirms us. Jesus, what do you do? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that's what it means. Don't sin anymore. But the fact is, what he's saying is you don't have to have that sin control you and manipulate you anymore. Sin doesn't have to be your lifestyle. When we go with Jesus, he gives us victory over those sins that used to control us and beat us up and manipulate us. How many know what I'm talking about today? It doesn't work on us anymore, amen? Amen. When Jesus pays attention to the biggest sinner in town, the most hated man in town, the one everyone despises and says, I'm going to your house for dinner. You know, I thought about this. We could have called this Dinner with Sinners. That sounds like a new reality show in the Food Network, doesn't it? <laughs> dinner with Sinners. We could have fun with that one right there. But you get to get the picture of what it meant to go to dinner. In that first century Middle Eastern world, they believed in extreme hospitality. Eating at a low table, on mats on the floor, or low couches, and that's the way it was at, at, at the uh, Last Supper there with Jesus. Hospitality was considered a sacred, sacred obligation. The host of the dinner had uh, numerous responsibilities, washing the guest's feet, or he would probably have a, a servant wash the guest's feet, anointing their head with oil, the proper greeting, a kiss on the cheek. We should really get biblical here, right? You know, we should start really just pouring oil on everybody and washing everybody. Anybody ever wash somebody's feet? That's a humbling thing, isn't it, right there? How about kissing each other on the cheek? Uh, when I was a young pastor, there was an old pastor. That was his thing. That's not my thing. <laughs> He'd want to see us and give us a kiss on the cheek. And I just got to be honest with you, that creeped me out. <laughs> I, I can shake your hand, brother. I'm going to give you a hug, brother. I don't know if I'm going to start kissing. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Let me just say, I love you. You're going to have to believe me. I love you. But 
And, and, and then another responsibility was that he would shelter and protect his guests because they were at his table. And with that gesture, Jesus did the unthinkable. He's saying, I want a relationship with you. And the reactions from the citizens of Jericho was immediate. They all complained, saying, verse 7, this verse 7, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. They had a religious spirit. May that never, ever be said of us. Amen? Here's Jesus' response. I love this. Today, salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why we're here at Ninth and Main this morning. That's why we're in Pittsburgh, because we're here to seek and save the lost, just like our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. That's what the evangelist D.L. Moody said over 100 years ago. People didn't like hearing that Zacchaeus had the same heritage that they had. They didn't like hearing that a son of Father Abraham could be spiritually lost. But Jesus was saying this, as I wrap this up this morning, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's those that are sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the unrighteous. I came for the lost. I didn't come for people who think they have it all together and don't think they need a savior. I came to save people who realize they are broken and they don't have it all together and they know things don't always work in life like they think they should. Jesus said, I have come for people who know they need help. Salvation came to Zacchaeus and he came into the family of God. And Jesus was saying, faith overrides genealogy. God responds to faith. Zacchaeus opened up his heart, opened up his life to Jesus, and he immediately, I want to tell you, the family curse was broken, the curse of bondage and sin in Zacchaeus' life. How many know what I'm talking about to have that take place in your life today? Amen? And I want to tell you something this morning. There are curses that can take place in families. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you come in and receive a new bloodline and your heritage can be changed. That curse can be broken. There could be a curse of anger in your family, a curse of lust in your family, a curse of addiction in your family, a curse of pornography in your family, a curse of divorce in your family. But Jesus changes everything this morning in your life. Hallelujah. Everything. That word salvation, we minimize it. It's a big word. It means delivered, rescued from sin, forgiven. It means soundness, well-being, prosperity mentally, physically, spiritually. And I'm going to say this financially. You're going to be better off when you know Jesus, live by the principles of God's word than without Jesus Christ in your life. So how should I respond to Jesus? I want to say it. Immediately. I got to tell you, I wasn't always that way. But I'm going to tell you, I've come to the place, no matter what, when Jesus says something, I'm saying, yes, Lord. When he speaks, yes, Lord. Immediately, like Zacchaeus, it says with excitement and with joy, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord. So what's the result? He made a public demonstration of change. Then Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, this is sincere. It's real. It wasn't just talk. He really did this. I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. This is far beyond the law, the Jewish law of restitution. You see that in Leviticus 6, Numbers 5, and it tells for them to do this, restore full value plus one-fifth. He restores half of his wealth plus four times more. A man that was all about money all of a sudden said, you know what? I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. Oh, praise God. I, I was going to say this right now, but something we do every Easter for about 12, 13 years now, every Easter Sunday, we're going to give it away. Come on, get excited about that. Amen. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. You heard it briefly, Convoy of Hope, and we're going to partner with them again. And there's so much that they're doing in America and around the world. In 2020, they stepped it up big time because of people like you and me, enabling them to serve and minister to people, educate people. But I want you to pray about that Easter Sunday, about giving it away. We look at this this morning, I know time's getting short, but I want to say this, and, and yeah, some of you think, well, why do you delve into politics? I'm just delving into life and how it affects you and me. That's what I'm talking about. Whosoever will may come, seek and save the lost. Jesus is no respecter of persons. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that he accepted you and received you, received me. He created all of us, brown and tan and black and white and people like me, they're just kind of getting spotted up more and more. What, what's going on here? You know? What I'm saying is this. You're created for God and by God. And it says he created us in his image. You have intrinsic worth and value because you're God's creation. You're valuable. Tell your neighbor you're valuable. And so here's where I'm going with this. There's a bill called the Equality Act, the Equality Bill. It's already passed in the Congress. It's being considered by the Senate right now. That sounds good, doesn't it? Come on, let's be honest. That sounds good. The Equality Bill, I'm for that. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell you it's dangerous. Like so many false narratives in our culture right now, I've never felt more of a mandate. I've got to speak the truth, speak the truth of love, and be a watchman on the wall saying, look out. Thank you, Pastor. Look out. Because we live in a republic that's for the people, by the people, not big government controlling and dictating who we are and what we do. We believe in freedom. We believe in religious freedom in America. The Equality Act is a danger to all of that. You got to look at it. You got to read it. It's un-American. It's anti-Christian. It will. It will, if passed, begin to dictate what we say, what we teach, and what we preach. And this Bible right here, and it's already on the way, is considered hate speech. 
and this will limit what we can teach, what we can preach, and what we can say, just like they do in communist China and other communist countries around the world. It will jeopardize our 501c3. It will dictate to me and other pastors and other Christian organizations who you can hire, who you can't hire. I will be forced to hire people that totally disagree with this Bible, this truth, and they live alternate lifestyles and aren't the lifestyles that I want people on this church staff ministering to this congregation and this community. The things that we preach are the things that Jesus preached and taught. He loved everyone, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to tell you, be wise. The rich young ruler clung to what he had instead of committing to what he could obtain. He walked away sad with an if only regret. Zacchaeus, he received salvation and acceptance and he received a what if God possibility. I'm going to tell you church, we have a choice to make in this day and hour. Are we going to live with, with if only regrets? Or are we going to step in and step up and receive our what if God possibilities and be a church that is really the church of Jesus Christ, not silent, not canceled, not woke, but loving, bold, and strong. And we're going to be part of, and I'm going to keep saying it, while the world is going into chaos and disarray, there's going to be a revival. People want answers. People are hungry. People are searching. Nobody saw it coming for Zacchaeus. Nobody believed he could be in the kingdom of God. Nobody thought Jesus could love him and change him. But Zacchaeus received eternal life. Anything is possible. Hallelujah. That's what they said. It's impossible with man. All things are possible with God. I'm getting ready for some impossibilities. Amen. 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 Lord Jesus, what you did for us on the cross was impossible with man, but possible with God. Hallelujah. If you don't have the communion elements, if you would raise your hand, we're, we're going to just bring these to you right now. Yes, keep your hand raised. Thank you. And we're doing the all-in-one one. They're a little bit challenging for people like me. So just take a minute. This whole thing about following Jesus Christ is a miracle, isn't it? I'm here today, it's a miracle. I'm not here today because I was a good guy. You did some stuff I didn't do. I did some stuff you didn't do. Mari found out last week, as a kid, I was in the principal's office all the time. I just enjoyed life too much when I was in school. I was having too much fun. You know, poor Dr. Zeus, he's part of the cancel culture right now. He shouldn't be, but I never did like him because when I went to the principal's office, as I sat there to see the principal, what did they have right there? Dr. Zeus books. I have flashbacks every time I see Dr. Zeus books. Now, we're not here today because we're such good people. We're here today because there's a great Savior. His name is Jesus.
And this bread represents his body. And this cup represents his blood that was broken and poured out for you and me. The impossible became possible today. Let's worship in this song that we're going to receive together this morning. Take a moment and turn your eyes on Jesus.
Then he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. Cleansing us, purifying us, making us right with God the Father. Thank you, Lord. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many know this morning that you've had a Jesus encounter and you've had a number of Jesus encounters in your life? Raise your hand for me right now if you would. It says, I know. I've encountered Jesus. I've accepted Christ. He's in my life. I'm living for him. I want to see your hand today if that's where you are. I'm living for Jesus. I've had an encounter with the living Christ. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I would like that, but I haven't had that. I've heard what you had to say today. and I want to invite Jesus into my life. I believe he's calling me by name. I believe he's knocking at my heart's door. He wants to come in and live life with me and in me and through me. But I need to invite him in and I'm ready to do that right now. I'm ready to invite Jesus into my life. You know you're spiritually lost, but you know he's calling you. You say, right now I want to accept Christ. Today's my day. Raise your hand with me. I think I see a hand in the back in the dark. I see a hand right here. Anybody else? Several hands, several hands, several hands, several. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Oh, let's praise God together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, we can know him. Let's stand together this morning. Help us help you follow Christ. Get connected. There's a card there after we pray this prayer. Fill it out. Take it out to the Welcome Center. We want to follow you up and give you some direction. Or maybe you want to come right here when we finish praying and let us pray with you. But let's everyone pray together and welcome these individuals into the family of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for not giving up, for being relentless. I thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only Son, to be my Savior. I thank you, Jesus, for calling me today. I'm responding. Forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want you. I want to follow you. It's my desire to do that from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, be bold, stand strong, walk in love, and let's see God do God things this week. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We love you. Amen.